This is episode one, our very first of the Industry Leaders podcast with myself, Kim Leggett from Clean Health. And I'm lucky enough to be joined by my co-host, who is the founder. I don't know if, I don't know if lucky is the word, but. Uh, <laughs> lucky for me. Yeah. <laughs> and Jane <laughs> McDonald. Um, yeah, yeah, no, well, I mean, that, that, that would be complimenting myself too much. You know, one, one could argue that I'm lucky to be here with you too, right? So, um, no, look, uh, uh, you know, it's great to be here. I mean, I'm I'm super excited about this show as as you are. You know, actually, ironically, we you know to our listeners, we had to record this after we did our first interview because of obviously timing constraints because they were overseas, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, we live in now. So I mean, look. No, I know, I know. So I mean, look, uh, Kim. Obviously, you know, for our listeners out there, you know, I, I know you and your background and what you're about. But for for you know somebody that is has never tuned into Kim, mm-hmm. um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I feel like this is a dating one-on-one question. Um, yep. In a nutshell, basically, back in the day, I was Miss Universe Malaysia. So my uh, background on my CV probably says that that I was once a beauty queen. Um, yep. From that, I guess I also previously was into athletics. I was very sporty as a, as, a, as a teenager. I was a state sprinter. And because I was so athletic and very involved in sports, I naturally gravitated towards the gym. Uh, from then, once I moved to Melbourne, I got into training. I got into physique competition. So I've competed in IFBB uh, a few times now, A&B as well. So I'm a bikini competitor now. That then became a passion of mine that then spawned into a career. So hence now I'm a coach. So fast forward to today where I'm a online coach and personal trainer face-to-face as well as working for Clean Health. And, and where's, this, where's this accent of yours from? <laughs> this is another question that I love to play uh, here. Yeah. But, um, so I am Malaysian with British roots. Just okay. and the accent is a slight cross between... Canadian, American, Australian, uh, but I went to an international school. So, and I think I mean you know obviously you mentioned before like what you're doing career-wise. You know mm. obviously you know you handle a lot of PR and community management for what you do with, with CHFI. Yeah. But then you've also got your coaching business on the side. Like what type of clients are you generally working with? I mean, you know, obviously you're blending the the, the corporate side of fitness um, in regards mm. to still being in the trenches working yeah. with clients. Like what is the average type of client that comes to you? Who, who is your demographic? I think just generally, and this is for anyone who is listening as well, you will just gravitate more to having a lot more general population clients. That's just going to be your bread and butter. Yeah. In, in essence, my, my clients are general population, but because of my interest and my success in physique competitions, I also have many females who are comp prep uh, clients, specifically wanting to compete in WBFF or IFBB, uh, other than that, just general population, people who want to uh, lose fat and gain muscle. And I mean, in terms of like, uh, you know, a day to day for you with your career, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people listening to this right now are PTs, yep. they're getting up early, they're doing their clients, like go through yep. a day in the life of, of you. Um, oh, and then I can kind of go through a day in the life of me. All right. So alarm goes off at 4.40. Kim either wakes up and then does her own training or I train clients prior to then jumping on online at my desk and doing my clean health duties and then repeat that in the evening. So it's either I'm training in the evening or training clients, uh, whether it's online check-ins, et cetera. And that's kind of a day in the life of really. 
And how about you? Yes. Well, I mean, look, just to sum up you, I mean, look, in essence, you know, you're working two full-time jobs, um, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, I think, you know, one of the, the reasons why, you know, I came up with the concept of this industry leaders podcast mm. is, you know, we've been very fortunate at Clean Health, you know, since 2008, when I founded the company, that people have looked at us as leaders in the industry, Yeah. Um, you know, which I'm super grateful for. But I think one of the things that sometimes people remember is that to achieve that recognition or that brand or that acknowledgement, mm. um, it doesn't come easy and you've got to put a lot of work into what you're doing. And I think, you know, um, you're embodying that, that philosophy right now in your day to day. So, you know, for a lot of um, trainers that are out there right now, it's like success doesn't happen overnight. Mm. And, you know, obviously with this podcast, I wanted us to be able to bring together some of the best in the industry worldwide. So whether or not it's in nutrition, training, in research, strength coaches, um, doctors, um, you know, sports psychologists, whatever it is in our industry, I wanted to bring them all together so that we can hear from the best and the brightest. And, you know, as you would have known from our first interview today, mm. um, you know, one of the common denominators I know from anyone that, in this, that is in this industry that has a brand, that has a profile, that is considered an industry leader is they've got to work for it. You know, right. and I think like I had, um, you know, I recently moved, as you know, so mm. I moved from, you know, my, my family home, which we're selling right now. And I've been, you know, fortunate enough to move by the ocean. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can obviously see that. Um, <laughs> But I had a, a friend of mine saying, wow, you're, you're so lucky to, to live there. And, and I stopped him. I said, luck is not it, mate. You know, I, mm. I'm not, it, it, luck is not why I'm here. I'm here mm. because I, it, you know, 10 years ago, I set the intention that that is where I wanted to live. And I've approached my career within the fitness industry mm. every day, you know, um, not only trying to be the best, but, um, you know, put myself in a financial position where I can provide that for myself and family. So, I think these are the type of things, the philosophies, the core teachings, and the type of people that we want to bring onto this show. And I, for one, am excited. Oh, me too. And I think as well now, turning the page to yourself, Dane, uh, I feel like you're the man, the myth, the legend. I remember when I was <laughs> about, I think when I first came to Melbourne, actually, it was a fitness expo and I was a, I was just walking around and I actually, I knew of you at the time. And I remember going, oh God, that's Dane McDonald from Clean Health. So um, I know you very well uh, in terms of your background and how you've come to be such a. That would have been in two thousand. That would have been in two thousand fifteen. Yeah, yeah. I think you never told me that one. Longer than um, that. No, I, I was I was down. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it would have been two thousand fifteen because we were yeah. actually um, we we took down about fifteen of our team members and we had a booth there right next to the um, the stadium. Oh and yeah. We, we 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 ran an event there called the Strength Sports Challenge. So I hmm. had like Hattie Boyd. Um, WBFF uh, Pro Fitness Model World Champion. She was involved. Yeah. Um, Sebastian Oreb was involved. Mm. Uh, based on gig down there. So you didn't come and say hi because I would have remembered you. <laughs> no, I was too scared. I oh would have. Gosh, I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm not an intimidating guy. Trust me. Although no, you know no, what, back, back back then though, I, I would dare say I, I have. You know, and look, it's it's part of why we're on this and doing this show is to learn, evolve, and grow. I think back then as well, you know, like I, I probably carried more of an ego than I do now, mm. um, and I was probably a bit more offstandish. But you know, one thing that I've I've learned, you know, in my life is just to to be honest, chill the fuck out, uh, and just kind of be happy with what you've got and be very grateful for what you've got. Um, so I was just saying that um, I know you very well, but do you mind giving us a spiel of how you've come to be where you are today? Yeah, I mean, look, um, 
you know, I started industry in 2002. Mm. Um, it's when I did my Cert 3, Cert 4 in fitness, which is your standard personal training qualification here. Um, you know, started training clients casually. Then over the next few years, I did some diplomas, a, a human movement degree. Um, you know, and within a five-year period, I was, you know, been working for a few years in commercial gym chains. And, and you know, in 2006, I came across into Fitness First. Yeah. It was Fitness First St. Leonard's on Sydney's Lower North Shore. Yeah. Um, and within six weeks of being there, I was doing about 50 PT sessions a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the reasons why I was able to still today, especially those that are practicing in the trenches, is one, um, never stop practicing what you preach. Mm-hmm. And then two, never stop learning. Mm. You know, um, because at the end of the day, uh, I used to sit at kind of 95 kilos and sub 10% body fat year round. Mm. So people just used to come to me um, because of the way I looked, yeah. it was an added, but it was an added bonus when I opened my mouth and they, and they realized that I wasn't just, you know, some handsome looking young guy. Right. Um, you know, they, they, uh, basically like, wow, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. So mm-hmm. I think they're, they're two key philosophies for trainers that, you know, kind of with clean health, we've always been very big on, but, um, look, it's been a roller coaster. I mean, I, I started clean health in 2008 and, you know, we're going into year 13 now, you know, we've gone from, being a one-man band to having a bunch of trainers working in commercial gyms to having our own facility then our own facilities mm. to teaching our first internships to traveling around the world teaching to where we are today which is basically 100 percent um remotely run so obviously yeah. we've got team members around australia and in asia that work for us um remotely we have no company head office anymore and our entire product offering is 100 percent um, ed tech or edu tech, um, digital education. So we provide accredited um, qualifications, ongoing industry professional development, and then um, nutrition coaching software and insurance for fitness professionals mm-hmm. around the world. So our business model has changed a lot. We've gone mm-hmm. from being in-person to digital. Um, you know, obviously I've been there every step, every minute, every hour of the way since day dot. Yeah. It's been quite a journey. Um, but, you know, heading into two, just about what we're doing as, as a business, you know, and, you know, our mission, which for me, it's always been just to, you know, initially it was to raise the health of all of the clients that walk through our door mm-hmm. and, you know, give them lifelong and everlasting change. But today it's about, you know, raising the standards of fitness professionals around the world, because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, you know, fitness professionals around the world are the, on the front line of this global obesity pandemic that is currently, you know, forget COVID, yeah. um, it's a global obesity pandemic, you know. Um, you know, if that wasn't as prevalent, you probably wouldn't have as much um, issues with all of the, the illnesses and that that are going out there. In yeah. fact, the research is very clear on that when it comes mm. to metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, etc. So the more information that we can give um, personal trainers around the world, um, the better. And, you know, one of our key points of difference compared to other educators out there is that, you know, our content is created by the trainers for the trainers you know mm-hmm. at the end day yes i'm a, a business owner and 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 all of that type of stuff and you know my focus for the day i'm a pt you know mm-hmm. my, my qualifications are in personal training and nutrition they're yeah. not in business yeah so everything that we're doing it, it's coming from that angle it's coming from you know i've been in your shoes you're in those shoes right now kim mm-hmm. um and it's about providing you know, evidence-based information that is also practical in real world because mm. there's, there's no point, you know, um, having all of this um, knowledge if you can't apply it because you can't, 
you can't out out train a bad diet and you know no. the best diet in the world is meaningless for example if they're not following it so um you know that's what kind of our company is about that's been you know the mission behind it for the last going into 13 years now and i think you know this podcast um that you and i are doing together is really just going to be an extension of that and you know the best thing about it is it's free that's right all right, Kim. So look, uh, tell us a little bit today, a little bit about our guest today, Dr. Bill Campbell. Um, what's he about? Where's he from? And what are we hoping to learn from him today? Sure. So for episode one today, on the topic of blending the latest science with real world results, we are talking to Dr. Bill Campbell. So he is a professor of exercise science and the director of the performance and physique enhancement lab at the University of South Florida, and also forms part of the Clean Health Fitness Institute Academic Advisory Board. So Bill is a man of many talents. He is a researcher and author. He has published more than 150 scientific papers and abstracts in academic journals related to sports nutrition and physique enhancement. So his main foray of expertise is bodybuilding and um, especially training nutrition amongst bodybuilders and people who are within the arena of weight loss and weight gain in terms mm. of and I, yeah and look i think it's uh you know obviously it's a topic close to home for us at clean health i mean you know when it comes to physique athletes and bodybuilders i mean we've got a long history um you know spanning back to 2009 of training national champions in these mm. events um you know and i think the thing i like about bill i've, I've had a lot of chats with him offline um, you know, he obviously parts, uh, forms part of our academic advisory board. Um, you know, that, that's a global board of some of the world's best in, in, in fitness industry, business, coaching, uh, academia, et cetera, that, you know, we're really, um, you know, putting together for 2021 to help shape the future of our industry. Yeah. So he's a really smart guy. I mean, you know, even myself, you know, I'm not in the trenches coaching uh, clients anymore, but, you know, I can listen to this guy talk and, he has a really good way of digesting science and mm. presenting it in a way that you can take it as a trainer or a coach and start to apply it. So, right. you know, to me, um, super excited about this episode and what we're going to hear from Bill. Yeah, I'm excited too. Time to get him on. All right. So today we're going to be joined by a really special guest, Bill Campbell, who is a professor of exercise science and the director of performance and physique enhancement at the University of South Florida and forms part of the Clean Health academic advisory board. Now there's a lot more to Bill um, than I can talk about in about a 30 second piece. So we're gonna hand it straight over to Bill. Um, Bill, thank you so much for joining us on episode one of the Industry Leaders Podcast. Um, I know, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're breaking us in like you're the, you're the, you're the first. <laughs> I love it, I'm, I'm, I'm honored, <laughs> honored to be the first one. Um, and today's topic as well is blending the latest science with real world results with yourself. Um, so given that you are the expert in this field, we thought no better than to get you on board to uh, answer lots of questions. We've got heaps of things to talk about. Um, so we're going to jump into the, it, it jumped into it straight away. Awesome. So I'll just give a little background about myself. Yep. I'm a... Uh... I guess, as you said, a professor of exercise science at the University of South Florida, which is located in, in um, Tampa, Florida. And I basically get to live out my passion every day. We essentially study how to lose body fat and gain or maintain muscle mass. And I like to say that my research helps people optimize their physiques within a maintainable lifestyle. 
So what does that mean? It means that I study bodybuilders because they're the experts in fat loss. And I also study obese individuals because they also attempt to lose body fat. So I study both extremes and I really have a focus on people who are, who don't necessarily want to step on stage, but who just want to look better. Maybe they look like, maybe they want to look like they want to step on stage, but they don't actually want to do it. They don't want to go through all of the tanning, all of the extreme measures to step on stage. So that's kind of where my research helps people. So I put a big emphasis on a maintainable lifestyle. Right. Now, how did you actually get to come about that type of research? Like what's your background or what led you into that sort of arena as an interest? Yeah, so my first career was actually in marketing and sales. I used to sell herbicides and pesticides. So I sold bug killers and weed killers. Wow, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very this is a career number two. So yeah, I um I wasn't real passionate about killing bugs, but I was passionate about bodybuilding and sports supplements and lifting weights. So you know, I'd get home from my job and I I would just read about nutrition and exercise. So in my mid twenties, I said maybe I should do something that I'm actually interested in. So I started a pretty long journey to go back to school because I didn't have any science classes during my business degree. So I had to start basically from scratch, take all of my anatomy, physiology, uh, chemistry, organic chemistry, biochemistry, all of those classes to, to start this new career. And I got a master's in exercise physiology and then I got a PhD in exercise, nutrition and preventive health. That was from mm-hmm. Baylor University. Mm-hmm. And my dream was to kind of run my own lab. I wanted to have my own lab and I didn't care where I lived, but like any great husband, I asked my wife, where do you want to live? Like, <laughs> I just graduated. And her answer was, I don't care where we live as long as it's hot. <laughs> so yeah. that eliminated half the country in America. So I, I applied to jobs only in warm climates and I was very blessed to, to get a job at the University of South Florida, which is in Tampa. So very hot. Um, today, it's probably 70 degrees and sunny there. Um, I'm actually in Pennsylvania as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. But I've been there for 13 years. And my career started off studying more sports nutrition. And I got to move over the last five years into what my passion is, which is physique enhancement. In terms of like the type of like how many studies per annum are you guys running these days? Like how, how much, you know, how much research are you bringing to the forefront annually do you feel these days? So that's a very good question. I have in my core values. So I, I have a mission statement for my lab. We have core values. One of our core values is to keep things simple. Mm-hmm. So one thing I refuse to do is to try to do 20 studies or 10 studies per year. We focus on doing quality studies at the expense of quantity. So Mm -hmm. we typically do pretty large weight loss studies. And when I say weight loss, again, this is for people who are already lean and fit, who want to look a little leaner, who want to get more fit. Mm -hmm. So we will do about anywhere from two to four studies per year, which is, which is a lot, but it's, again, I I don't have the goal of trying to, to do more research than other people. 
I want to have a very simple study design that we can execute on because we're yep. tracking all of our subjects, macronutrients every day, every gram. We're watching every workout. We're testing their metabolisms like incessantly mm. throughout this period. So um, a lot, a lot of people do a lot more volume, but I, again, I don't fall into that trap quality. I, I think we're, you know, we're very big, uh, very big on that, I guess, as an organization ourselves, you know, it's quality over quantity. Um, it's all well and good having that scattergun approach where you try and do anything and everything. Um, but you know, quality counts, right. And I think that's how you build up a reputation, um, for getting results and for excellence. And, you know, I guess, uh, you know, start to attract the right type of people to what you're doing. So obviously there's been, um, a lot of, you know, pros and cons and yays or nays on that over the last decade. I mean, what are you, what's your opinion on, on tempo training? You know, do you still feel it has its place when it comes to hypertrophy? Is it something that doesn't matter? Um, you know, would you also care to explain some of the recent data about stimulating reps? Like, you know, we'll hand it over to you. What are your thoughts? The research that I've read on this is that it doesn't appear to be more beneficial than not care than, than not doing tempo training. It's no yep. worse. It doesn't yep. cause you to not get as money benefit, mm -hmm. but I don't see my interpretation of that literature. It's not mm -hmm. giving you a benefit. Now, yeah. I always like to answer these questions. What do I do in my own life? Mm. What I typically do is I try to go a little slower on the eccentric. I like to control the weight mm. and I like to try to go as fast as I can on the concentric because the more explosive you can be on the concentric, the more muscle fibers you're gonna activate, the more type two muscle fibers. So if I can activate more muscle fibers, now I'm activating a greater hypertrophic stimulus. So I try to go fast on the, on the concentric and control the eccentric. So if I were to say what this is, it's probably like a one second concentric and a two second eccentric. So for you, it's a, it's a programming variable that, you know, is much of much. It's not that important, but it's more something that, you know, maybe from like a compliance perspective, you, you, you feel it might have some relevance. Like what about with, um, clients that are new, you know, training movement patterns and things like that, do you feel it might have some, um, uh, you know, application there with those type of people that are just learning how to move? Yeah, I, I definitely like, I like to feel the muscle. I don't like gravity mm. or momentum taking over a lift. So that's why I like a slow, a slower eccentric or controlling it. I basically, yeah. if I'm, if I'm working with somebody and let's say they're new, if I say at any point in their lift, stop, can they stop it? That's the kind of control I would want yeah. them to have. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think as, as well, you know, being able to stop and move, at, uh, you know, stop in a dead stop position, whether it's on a bench or a squat, then move out of that position so that you can actually control the weight and you're probably not progressing the client too fast, therefore likely limiting their risk for injury and, you know, et cetera. So no, it makes sense. That is something that in my research, we actually program for. So I would hold this on a very high pedestal. So okay. I would say if the goal is hypertrophy, if I give you a weight, let's say we're looking at a rack of dumbbells from the lightest, smallest dumbbell to the heaviest. I don't care which one you choose. You should take that set to near failure. And we, I define failure. There's two different terms in the literature. There's total failure, 
which means you, you lift that weight until you cannot move it anymore. I don't believe you need to go there. There's something else called technical failure, which yep. is where you keep lifting that weight until you don't think you can do another rep with good form. Mm -hmm. So in, in my research on this, and by the way, I've just spent a tremendous amount of time looking at this very issue because I'm working on a, a um, physique coaching diploma and I've got, I've literally looked at every single study that's been published in the English language on this. And the, the, my, my impression of that literature is if you take each set to about one or two reps shy of technical failure, you get the same hypertrophic benefit. And in some cases, it's even better than taking it to failure. Now, if you do take it to failure, let's say you take it all the way to you can't even move the weight, it appears that the hypertrophic stimulus is not compromised, but what is compromised is power production. So if you're an athlete, you have to be careful because you don't want to reduce your power output and your level of fatigue is significantly higher. So you're not going to recover as fast. So let me summarize. If your goal is to build a, the biggest muscle possible, go to about one or two reps shy of failure to where you can't keep lifting with good form. And that will opt that will maximize the hypertrophic stimulus from that set. And I believe other than your work, other than your warm up sets, you should take almost every set to that point. Yeah. And look, uh, you know, I, I have these chats with our head of research and development, Stefan Ainef, mm -hmm. um, often, and it's um, something that he's very big on is exactly what you've just spoken about. And it's, it's what we actually teach in um, our performance PT uh, certification program when it comes to hypertrophy in particular. I think it's, um, you know, there's that, that old bodybuilder analogy or, or, or thought process, that, that 80s mindset of just crushing the muscle to, to, to failure. Um, you know, it, it, it might be a good uh, mental test of one's kind of intensity to their training, but does it actually have any value? Um, I think that's where science, this is where this research comes into play to, I guess, make people more efficient with their training, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and for our listeners, really, it's about, you know, giving them tips and tricks, whether it's in business or training or nutrition to, to make them more effective at, at getting results on themselves or with their clients. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And again, what you guys are teaching is exactly, again, I, I spent, you know, way too many hours looking at that research. Yeah. You're, 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 you're following the research. Mm. Uh, now, yeah. can I also say, there may be a, I think there are, there is a time to go to absolute failure, maybe once a month or maybe every other month so yeah. that you have an idea how yeah. many reps can you get at this weight? That yeah. way, you know, for the next month or two where you should stop a rep or yeah. two shy of that. So very, I think, that's, I think that's good. I think that's also good for clients like mentally yeah. as well. You know, let's just say that they're, um, in month one, they could only do a, a hundred kilo squat um, for two reps. In month um, two, they're now able to do it for three or four reps. You know, it's yeah. showing uh, some form of progression um, towards a goal that can uh, help keep them more compliant. Because I think it's um, that's that fine line, right? You've you've got to make sure that you're getting the most bang for buck, effective use of their time. But then also, are they actually going to continue to adhere it? And you know, especially at this time of the year. It's like it's very easy just to slip away and have a, you know, a Christmas ham or turkey, um, then go and get your steps in or go for a workout, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah.
Um, Bill, I just wanted to ask as well, because we're on the topic of training and rep schemes and things like that and different methods. Um, and it just came in front of my mind there. What are your thoughts on tr traditional drop sets versus a mechanical drop set? So my philosophy on what, what I refer to them, what you just described is advanced lifting strategies. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for most of the people, 95% of the population, I don't think there's a need to do those things to optimize the hypertrophic stimulus. Okay. But as you get more advanced, that is where those advanced lifting strategies may start to induce a, a potential benefit for those people. What, okay. what I find is, uh, let's say somebody just started, they've been lifting for a month and then they start wanting to try these things. Mm -hmm. And my advice is, you know what? I don't think we're there yet. Just yeah. take each set close to failure. Mm -hmm. And then once you've been doing this for a year or two, we can do a personal experiment with drop sets, mechanical drops. Well, actually on, on that topic, like uh, lots of people have different ways of categorizing a beginner level trainee, intermediate level trainee, advanced level trainee. So I think as often with these things, you open up cans of worms the more you talk, especially someone like yourself that's got so much knowledge. How would you define beginner, intermediate and advanced trainees? Mm. Like, um, are you looking, uh, is it a, a variable between training age um, you know, load lifted strength parameters, strength norms. Like, what, what, what do you, what is your way of characterizing if someone's a beginner, intermediate, or advanced? Because, for, like, from my experience, when I was coaching, you know, I use um, Lauren Simpson. She's WBFF Pro Bikini World Champion. Um, so when I was coaching her, within the first six months of her weightlifting career, or actually probably the first twelve months of her weightlifting career. She was already doing loads that clients that I'd worked with for a decade were doing at her body weight. So, for example, she had a two times body weight squat, um, a 1.5 times body weight deadlift within a six to 12 month period. Um, you know, so, you know, again, how are you defining it? Because obviously there are outliers like that as well. But like to coaches yeah. out there, to personal trainers out there, how do they how do they know who is who? Yeah, and unfortunately, in the research literature, it's often based on time. Like, typically, yeah. they'll say if it's been one year that, or longer. That's, why, that's why I brought it up, because I, I found from experience, you know, um, our lab was um, our personal training gyms doing hundreds of thousands of PT sessions. Mm. And, you know, you'd have people that would come in for a year. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, they're as strong as someone that's been lifting for five years. So if I was to use the same training stimulus on that client, their uh, progression results would be, you know, uh, like this rather than like that. Yeah. Yes. Because irrespective, yeah. as you know, within the first three years of training, um, that's when you're going to get a lot bigger jumps in progression compared to the advanced lifter that's, you know, where you're at, where I'm at, where Kim's at. Mm. It's a very micro um, increase on strength, on uh, muscle mass, on, on these things. So... Yeah. So one thing, though, that I will circle back to what we just what we were just talking about, regardless if it's your first day or you've been in this for 30 years, regardless of your strength, if you take each set to near failure, you are optimizing that hypertrophic stimulus that yeah. never leaves. Now, yeah. I don't know how trained or how new. That's something that's a staple. Every single set, every single workout, your set should go to that to that level. And that's, yeah. again. That is not, it's not easy. It's an intense workout, 
but it's not, doesn't have to be like just a killer workout either. Again, you're stopping one, maybe two sets shy of where I don't think I can do a good set or mm -hmm. yeah, a good repetition. And I don't, I don't know if we're going to talk about deloads, but if you're just not feeling great that day, all right, take it like you have four reps left in the tank. Take a week of that. You're still getting a stimulus, but you don't have to push it quite that far. You can almost use that system as a, as a deload system as well. Right, right. Now, um, Bill, we're going to kind of shift direction here. I'm going to talk about what you love, which is bodybuilding and physique competitors and competitions. I think this is also very fitting given that we've just come off the back of the Olympia weekend as well. Um, so the question is when it comes to physique competitors, some of your recent published data by your lab shows that effects of lower versus higher protein diets for, for females. So female aspiring physique athletes, can you outline some of the findings that you have found as to what is probably, I guess, uh, more beneficial or reaps better um, muscle gain for these competitors? Yeah. So a lot of people, we assume, and let's just say we know higher protein is a, is a better type of diet for people who are lifting weights to increase muscle mass. But you'd be surprised how few studies there have been to actually test that. Mm -hmm. Hardly any studies. Yeah. So my lab did the first study in a resistance trained female population. And as you said, these were aspiring female physique athletes meaning that they, most of them had either competed as a bikini competitor or figure competitor or were planning to within this next year. Yeah. And what we did, we said to one group, we said, you have to eat at least 2.4 grams per kg of protein every day. Mm -hmm. The other group, we said, you have to eat no more than 1.2 grams per kg. So we had this big difference in protein intake. Again, never been looked at in a resistance trained female population. So what did we find? Well, the high protein group actually were, was ingesting 2.5 grams per kg. Mm -hmm. The low group actually ingested 0 0.9 grams per kg. Okay. They lifted in my physique lab for eight weeks. We watched every rep. We watched every set, every workout. We also made them calculate every gram of carbs, protein, and fat that went into their body all eight weeks. At the end of the eight-week period, the high-protein group gained about two kgs of, of muscle mass. Yep. The low-protein group gained about a half a kilogram, which is actually more than, more than I would think given that low of protein. Yeah. So that finding wasn't surprising. Mm -hmm. What was surprising is that the high-protein group and they actually increased their calories by nearly 300 calories per day, they lost a kilogram of body fat. Right. What did you contribute that to? Yeah. So I'm going to attribute it to what all scientists attribute it to, which is we don't know. But, but our, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the interesting finding. But it yeah, is. I mean, well, but it, well, I mean, it is. Well, no, go on. It's actually not the first, I wasn't the first lab to show this. There have been four other studies where they increase calories mm -hmm. all in the form of protein in resistance trained people. Yeah. And they yeah. either didn't gain fat or they lost fat. So are so, you relating it to TEF? Yes. Like that's the only thing that makes yeah. sense. The, uh, well, the thermic effect of food and just a higher NEAT. So a higher daily mm. energy expenditure. So your body's 
having to use a lot of energy to break down that protein. Th those peptide bonds are hard to break mm -hmm. in, in the chemical structure of amino acids and, and proteins. So you're having to induce energy to break them down. And um, the only thing we can attribute it to is yes, a higher thermic effect of food and a higher overall energy expenditure. So what, what would you say your take home point from that for you was like in terms of how you might ap apply that again for our listeners, you know, um, how could they maybe apply that information to their own coaching? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take that and I'm going to lead it into the next study we're starting in about three weeks in my lab. So to me, okay. the take home message is more protein is better than low protein for building muscle mass, but we already knew that my lab just yep. said, okay, here, now we can publish it and, and make it known. Um, now I also want to say, at some point, you can keep eating more and more protein. Yeah. You're not going to keep gaining more muscle. So researchers tend to think that that threshold is about 1.6 grams per kg. So we were way above that threshold. Yeah. But what I think is the interesting finding in that study was the loss of body fat with the increase in calories. I've always thought, as most people mm. do, if you increase your calories, you're going to gain fat. Mm. Did not happen in my data in my study. And again, I'm aware of about four other studies that showed the same thing. The, 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 the two things that are always present is the increase in calories needs to come from protein alone and there needs mm -hmm. to be a resistance training stimulus. Uh -huh. So how can we translate that to the population? What we're doing now in my lab is, is asking the question, what if we have a new female client? They are not resistance trained. So we're going to start them with resistance training. And instead of having them track their macros where we're teaching them, hey, this is a carb, this is a fat every day. That's a pretty big ask of somebody who's new to fitness. Yeah. What we're doing is we're saying, let's just increase your protein intake. Don't focus on anything else. Just lift weights. And if you eat two eggs for breakfast, we want you to eat four. If you have fish twice a week, we want you to have fish four times per week. So we're just doing a very simple or a more simple lifestyle change with increasing protein. And we also have another group where we are saying, hey, track your macros and really get at least a 2.2 um, grams per kg of protein. And then, of course, we need a control group. So we have a third group in this study who's, who we're saying, don't change anything about your diet. Just lift in my lab and we want to compare you to the other groups. So the reason I like this study is it's going to answer this question in non-resistance trained females. Mm. And we're going to ask the question, maybe you don't have to be so anal or so uptight about tracking every little macronutrient. Maybe you can mm. just simply increase your protein mm. and not really give mm. it much thought. And maybe that mm. will cause you to gain muscle and lose fat. So that's the question. Interesting to see the, the findings based off, I guess, the different populations that you've got in. Yeah. think obviously doing it with a physique group who are a bit more intermediate to advanced level trainee, um, more competent with their technique, their execution of their exercise, probably more diligent outside of the lab. Um, you know, um, I wouldn't say it's not surprising, but, you know, that they obviously were, were still able to get the fat loss. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens with the general population client that is, um, you know, doesn't have the same amount of um, lean muscle tissue, that doesn't maybe have the same RMR, that doesn't have the same level of compliance outside of the lab to see what type of results they get. 
Yes, it's, it's a much easier mm. habit to master if you don't have to track everything. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess, on, you know, on the topic of, you know, um, physique and, and whatnot, like what are your thoughts on refeeds? You know, like it, it's something that, uh, you know, some people like, yes, um, love it. Some people don't love it. Like, um, I mean, one, do you want to explain the mechanism of refeeds? But then two, um, you know, as, as especially when you're dialing someone into show and they're, you know, they're depleted, they may be moody, um, you know, they're, they're kind of hanging out, getting to that, that competition stage, you know, how it might be something that you may or may not introduce as, as a strategy to, you know, replenish them coming into show or not. Yeah, so we published a study on refeeds in March of this year, and it was the fir yeah. very first study in a resistance trained population. And we just finished another study on diet breaks in resistance-trained females. So let, let me explain the concept. Yep. The, the global concept is a, is a term called nonlinear dieting. And basically what that means is you're not dieting every single day for week after week, month after month. This nonlinear dieting. Concept. Well, I, I, I'm I'm in a diet break from now until post Christmas. <laughs> yes, I, I've given myself five days off. It's exactly what it should, and that and that would be a diet break. So diet break yeah. is typically one week, sometimes yeah. two weeks of literally what it sounds like. Take a break from dieting. Don't diet for a week or two. A diet refeed has the same philosophy but it's usually a one or two day break from your diet rather than a week. So we call that a diet mm. refeed. Now, if, if you, as you ask questions about diet refeeds and diet breaks, the only way that they make sense is if you appreciate the negative consequences of dieting itself. So let me explain them in about 60 seconds. There is nothing good about dieting for gaining muscle. Everything about a diet works against you from gaining muscle. And let me give you a few examples. This is all research-based. Well, Kimmy's, research just been, Kimmy's just been dieting for a, you did a photo shoot two days ago, didn't you? I did. I was just thinking like, even you yeah. talking about a refit, I was thinking, I'm going to tell my coach this because I probably <laughs> I'm like, how you want to what you're saying, Bill, so. Yeah. Kimmy's well, Kim just really done a great, a great photo shoot. So it's like, I think this is, you know, perfectly time for her. Yeah, I'm grinning from ear to ear, just listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, depending on how severe your diet was, or if somebody goes on a crash diet or they're dieting more severely, the, the negative consequences that I'm about to say become much worse. So I, I live my life, I'm always experimenting on myself. I'm always on some type of diet or trying to gain weight. All of my research revolves around dieting. But I never forget, you don't want to spend much of your life dieting. It, it's not your friend. We want to learn how to live within a maintainable lifestyle. But anyway, when you go on a diet, when you reduce your calories such that you're losing weight, you, your muscle protein synthesis goes down by about 20% from a 20% caloric deficit. Mm -hmm. Also, muscle protein breakdown, that increases significantly. Again, about 20%. Um, hormonally, growth hormone gets converted to a very anabolic hormone called insulin-like growth factor one. When you're on a diet, that conversion is blocked. So you now you don't have this anabolic status in your body. Mm -hmm. Your metabolic rate tends to go down as you go on a diet. As you lose weight, your metabolic rate goes down. 
and not to mention you're hungrier, usually a little bit more grouchy. So we have, we have a lot of these and you lose muscle mass when you go on a diet typically. Yeah. So everything we just mentioned is a negative consequence of dieting. Now my lab does focus on ways to prevent that. And we can get into that later, but that's where the value of a diet refeed or a diet break comes in. If you just, can just to, just to, b- before you get into that one question I'd ask, which I think would be beneficial. Um, you know, you're talking about um, MPS dropping by 20% and MPB going up by 20%, et cetera. Like from a deficit perspective, like what are the norms that, you know, for fat loss, you're generally recommending to coaches to do, you know, if they're taking someone, you know, into a deficit, how far of a deficit should they be going? Mm. Yes. So I'm going to answer that with a threefold philosophy that, that, that I've learned in my own research. Mm. The caloric deficit that we think is a, the most aggressive approach for fat loss and maintaining muscle is about a 25% caloric deficit. Yep. So if you know your maintenance calories, reduce that by 25%. Mm-hmm. But you have to also not reduce protein when you're doing that. Make sure protein yep. stays high. Mm-hmm. So at least 1.6 grams per kg, I would suggest the higher, the better, even up to 2.2 grams per kg. Yeah. And then the third principle with this is resistance training. Mm-hmm. Everything about a caloric deficit is catabolic. It makes you lose fat. That's good. Mm-hmm. But it also makes you lose muscle. So we want to introduce as many anabolic stimuluses to the body during a diet that we can. And resistance exercise is one of those anabolic stimuli, as is high protein. We've, 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 we've generally, you know, from a fat loss in our gyms, we might initially say, and I think it also depends on how much a deficit they're at in the beginning, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. if someone's coming to you crash dieting on a thousand calories a day, you know, if you, if you jack them up to say only a 20% deficit from that thousand, you might be jacking them up too fast, too soon. Yeah. For example, you know, for us traditionally, like we've, we've kind of stayed around that 20% deficit area for fat loss you know yes you can go down as you mentioned but around 20 percent, keep it safe um keep it in a way where basically mentally the client is not fried they don't feel as though they're starving in relation to where they're at but then also you know so psychologically they're getting the you know they're not going crazy from it all but then physiologically they're still getting the the benefits from it yes i love 20 percent. i can even live with 50 i mean I will never argue with anybody who takes a slower approach to fat loss. You will never hear me argue with that. I think that's, Mm. so when I say 25%, that's what I found is the, allows you, that's the, that's the upper limit. When you start going above that, that's when you're going to start losing. What about going, like if you've got somebody that is kind of, you know, in a healthy state and then you do it at two weeks where you go up to between 30, 35, (laughs) like well, funny you ask that because we just did a study on that. We literally did a rapid fat loss study mm-hmm. two weeks yep. where we had them do a, um, a 37.5% um, caloric deficit. Mm-hmm. And yep. in that study, and this was in males and females. Now, we haven't published this data yet, so I can't share all of the data, but I can share yep. some of it that we presented at a conference they lost muscle mass and these were all resistance trained people. They kept protein mm. high at least two point where well, we told them to go 2.2 grams per kg. So even when they're doing everything right, if you go too aggressively, you're going to lose muscle mass. Mm. 
So they get more of a weight loss rather than a body recomposition style, um, you know, or, or, or fat loss environment. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So again, in the future, my lab, we want to start looking at what's the, what's our, what's the human potential for losing as much fat off of the body as mm. possible yeah. while maintaining muscle and metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. And I want to, again, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to throw supplements at people, cardio, different types of cardio resistance training. Mm-hmm. That's, I want, that's a question I want to answer. I want to well, lose this fat. Is- you know, uh, hearing all this, I mean, you know, it gets me super excited. Um, it's all, you know, I think like this is, we spoke about it before, like with, um, you know, when we were offline, you and I, I know that you're um, releasing a, a research review next year. Um, I think this is the type of stuff that's really going to help fitness professionals around the world, getting the latest data and research in this area so that they can make, um, you know, scientific decisions with their clients to impact their health and their physique. Mm. Yes. Yep. And I think I get paid to do all this. I live a very blessed yeah. life. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I guess in terms of um, like, uh, we'll go into another actually topic because I know that you're pressed for time. What are your thoughts on sleep and recovery, you know, um, in relation to, you know, losing fat, building muscle, how much importance does it play? Um, you know, uh, what's kind of the, the, the benchmark that you feel people should be going for. Some people will say five or six hours enough. Some people like seven or eight hours is, is where you need to be. Like, what are your thoughts on this topic um, when it comes to, you know, optimizing clients' health and then obviously their results? Yeah, and I, and I want to be honest. I, I have not mastered this literature base yet. So I have opinions. Hmm. But yeah. my opinions are based more on conversations with people who do this research and who are yeah. experts. So now I do hope to do my own research on this. Um, yep. But basically from what I've been able to learn from other people and in just in, in, in my own clients, when I used to have clients, it seems like at least six hours per night is, is, a minimal amount. And again, this is for most people. Of course, there are exceptions. Mm. It seemed that eight hours was better than six and seven hours wasn't better than seven or eight. So if I were to suggest based on what I've learned, seven hours is probably an ideal sweet spot for a nightly sleep. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And Bill, just in terms of all the exciting products you have coming up, what are some sort of future research areas that you're exploring? So I mentioned the, the very first study that, we, that we're doing in this protein tracking or what we call like intuitive protein eating. So we have that study coming up. We're gonna do a study, it looks like on berberine supplementation. So I don't know if you're familiar with glucose disposal agents. Yeah. 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 So we're gonna look at yeah. See, and, and it seems like berberine or glucose disposal agents in general, they seem to be effective in obese people. Mm. But what mm. about people like us who are already healthy, who are already resistance training? We already, we're already creating a glucose disposal agent in our muscles. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if these supplements are going to be more effective, if they'll be beneficial for people who are resistance training. So we're going to look at that. Okay. Um, I'm also looking I'll at- I'll be interested to hear the research on that because- Berberine was actually something, um, you know, that ironically enough, 
you know, I used to use as a glucose disposing agent with clients that were obese or overweight in the initial stage of their program. Mm -hmm. And what did you find? Was it help? Did you find it was helpful? Yeah, I, I did. Um, you know, but from experience, coming back to your second point, like clients that we used to train in our um, studios that used it that were kind of, let's just say, sub 20% body fat, not as much. But those that were over 20%, especially 25 to 35% body fat, seemed to have faster um, fat loss than those that didn't do it. Again, this is just from, you know, our uh, real world laboratory. Um, so, um, yeah, for me, just ironically, super interested to hear that. Um, Even myself, you know, the I'm, of I, I'm t I've actually cycled it for four weeks at a time in my recent cut, just because I've got uh, PCOS or polycystic ovaries. So for me, just to ensure that I'm more insulin sensitive, my coach said to me, take berberine and just cycle through it. So four weeks on, four weeks off, something like that. And I actually found it was quite um quite helpful for me myself and i'm i would say i'm in that threshold of the lean population not exactly the um typical probably uh, uh i guess people that you would, are probably studying it with but um i actually found it was quite helpful good good hmm. and then one other thing that i think is on the horizon this would be next year is doing a rapid fat loss study with a diet refeed or a diet break so kind of Again, we're going to induce a situation where we know is not what I don't believe is a great situation because we're going to cut the calories severely. Mm -hmm. But can we protect some of the damage with a refeed? So that's something else we'll be doing hopefully next year. Okay. And I mean, look, let's talk about 2021. I mean, look, I know, you know, from our chats, you've got a lot of like big things coming up, a lot of um, stuff that you're doing out there in the industry. Um, you know, you care to share any of the exciting projects or um, things that you're working on in 2021? Yeah, so I've I've been working um, for the, you know, basically for the last almost year on a project with Clean Health Fitness Institute in Lane Norton. We're developing a physique coaching diploma. So I, this is kind of like my life's work and my life's research that's going to be packaged into just a, a great educational product. There's nothing else like this on the planet currently where all of the research, all of the education is focused on fat loss and muscle gain. So that's, that's something that, again, I get up every day and it, it, I'm just. And I think for the, you know, for the, for the listeners, the, the way, you know, obviously I've known about this, but the, the way that it's coming out is that, you know, um, students um, that complete this in Australia and in long-term North America will actually be able to come out of that as accredited physique coaches, um, which I think, again, it's another industry first, um, especially in the realm of, of comp prep and physique coaching. It's been um, sorely needed for mm -hmm. a long, long time. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm super excited to see, you know, what this, how this comes out with what you and, and, and Lane are doing, knowing how detail orientated both of you guys are. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm so behind it because I think it's, it's something that, you know, a personal trainer that gets qualified and it's like, okay, I want to learn about physique coaching or something like that. They're going to be able to go and do this diploma and, and really just get such an in-depth level of expertise on this topic that um, you know, they're gonna be able to go out there and safely and effectively um, start prepping clients to, to get up on stage or to do photo shoots or whatever that might be. Mm. Yeah, 
and obviously yeah, partnering with Lane, who's just an icon in the industry is a, is a great blessing as well. So it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's taught me a lot of what I've learned. And it's like I said, I, I look at this as literally like a, a life's accomplishment is when this mm. is finished. And tell us about um, the research review, because I know, obviously, you you and I have briefly spoken about that. That's another side project that you're working on. Yeah, so I, I think this is may, maybe the first time I've made this public, pretty sure. But yeah, it's something that um, I've I've been wanting to do for a long time, for many years. Due to some my own professional situation, I've decided that this is the year to make it happen. So it's essentially going to be a research review that's 100% dedicated to optimizing one's physique. And it's going to have a strong application perspective. So we're, we're not just going to summarize the research. It's not just that. But it's also finding the best evidence-based coaches, the best dietitians, uh, the best researchers, the best coaches, all of these best practitioners telling us, okay, how, here's how I would apply this to my clients, or here's where I wouldn't utilize this strategy. Mm-hmm. So there's some research and there is some application. Um, and again, I'm kind of the guy who's summarizing the research and I'm getting the best coaches, the best people to apply it to your life. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I, I think, I think the, um, you know, the benefit to that again is, you know, having having a resource tool like that, you know, from what I understand, it will be a subscription-based service where you pay monthly, et cetera. But that's going to give, you know, fitness professionals that are wanting to specialize in that area or really anything when it comes to body composition, when you, you know, from, from what you're saying, whether it's fat loss or hypertrophy, it's going to give them a, a reference point that they can go to to basically have all of the, the, the research kind of um, analyzed for them and then translate it in a way that they can apply the next day. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's the future of where the industry is going. It, it, it's, it, it's blending kind of the science. It's blending all of that with how can we actually apply that on the ground with our clients to help them achieve better outcomes. Absolutely, yes. And another thing I'm liking about it is I might have two experts that are going to have different applications. And that's fine because they're... they're a lot of this, there is no clear answer to how we do things. Sometimes there is. Yep. So I think it kind of lets people know there's not always one right way to apply research. There, there's, there, there is truth, but we can implement this based on the, cli- the particular client and their goals and situation. Hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I like just in the discussions we've had and with your philosophy is, you know, um, sometimes people get so dogmatic with things. Mm. Right? it's like it, it must be this way and it's like you know what like as you said you might have 10 different experts that deal with 10 different demographics and 10 different niches um and and that piece of knowledge they're going to apply in 10 different ways they might not all marry up but at the end of the day you can't you can't um argue with the output which is clients getting into better shape and getting healthier yeah mm-hmm. absolutely well um bill we will let you go those are all the questions we had for you today uh, thank you so much for being our first guest on the um, Industry Leaders podcast. Uh, we really appreciate all your insight and all your expertise on the topic, which was bringing the latest science to real world results. So thank you very much again. Yes, thank you for having me and thank Clean Health Fitness Institute for, for um, bringing me on board with some of these projects. No, look, it's, it's a pleasure, May, and uh, it, it won't be the last time we get you on this show. I can you know, honestly, a lot of the stuff that you covered today, I think is going to really 
um, you know, help personal trainers, help nutritionists kind of cut through some of the crap. Um, mm. Obviously, guys, um, for more information on Bill, you can follow him on his Instagram account. It's uh, Bill Campbell PhD, I believe, off the top of my head. Um, you know, so follow Bill there, obviously, to stay up to date with everything that he's doing. Um, I'm, you know, I view his kind of latest posts every other day. Um, so, yeah, thanks, Bill. Thank you. All right. So, look, that was um, a lot of information jam-packed into to 50, 50 or 55 um, impactful minutes there, um, Kim, as I'm sure you'd attest to. But I think one thing I've always liked to do when it comes to education is to do a bit of a recap. And um, it's something that I learned many years ago from one of my initial industry mentors, Charles Poliquin, which was, you know, what are the top three things that you just learned? So, you know, number one for me was obviously just learning about some of the, the stuff um, that he's got coming coming up in 2021 and also a lot of the research that he's currently got in place. I mean, I think that the research journal um, that is coming out is going to be a really invaluable resource tool um, for fitness professionals that they can, you know, dive into at any time to, to kind of take that science and blend it into the real world. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Diploma of Physique Coaching, I, I'm well aware because we've been building that in the background. Um, we're announcing a, a, a pre-interest list on that in the website that's going up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so those are some of the things that I, I took away from it. What about you? I'd say just because myself, because I am still in the trenches, I'm still coaching people hands-on, the key points that he mentioned related to that. So, for example, number one, the fact that in terms of a uh, cutting or diet for anyone should start at about 20 to 25 percent of a deficit is a place to be um i thought that was really interesting and that any more than that's almost more detrimental than it is beneficial depending on how long and depending on the person and either way regardless you're going to be losing muscle mass which for most people you're wanting to retain so that was one other thing i would say is that uh in a in summary basically that higher protein diets trump lower protein diets for anyone uh, and mm. in his specific example, it was with aspiring female physique athletes. But he did say that this does apply to any sort of population, uh, whether it's male or female. Yeah. Oh, look, like I said, um, you know, that's a, a very brief overview of it all. But um, obviously, guys, I think uh, Kimmy and I are going to wrap it up. Um, obviously, if you've got any questions that you want or any um, presenters, um, professionals within the industry that you want us to interview, um, please email us at podcast at cleanhealth.edu.au um, or follow the link in the bio. Um, obviously, Kim and myself are reviewing the questions that come in every week, um, reviewing the, the the show guests that you're recommending. And then obviously from there, you know, we'll be able to get into them on a week-to-week basis with the objective of, you know, helping you guys become uh, masters of your craft. That's right. Very exciting stuff. Can't wait. All right, I'm going to let you go, Kim. I'm going to let our viewers go. Until then.